up popcorn. There has got popcorn for this yeah, week's except, podcast. Except for I've been eating them and I'm now going to be picking popcorn out of my teeth throughout the whole podcast. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure everyone will really enjoy that. I've got a popcorn story though. Go on then. So when I was a teenager, I used to meet my friends at Milton Keynes Point Cinema, which was the latest fantastic cinema back in the day. And I'm sure those that live in Milton Keynes, it's still very nice <laughs> as well. But I, I think I met my friends to watch Harry Met Sally that time. I was kind of feeling a little bit sleepy, a bit relaxed. It was going to be a rom-com. I was kind of in that mood. And basically when I went to go and get some snacks, the guy behind the counter goes, oh, what, do, what do you want? So I went, a Coke and some cock porn, please. And I was so tired, I didn't bother correcting myself. And he mutters something else at me, and I presume it was like sweet or salted or something like that, or, bu- or buttered. And I said, battered, please. <laughs> so I actually ended up asking for battered cock porn and didn't apologise or just <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> well, the worst thing about paid that the, is... The- paid the guide, no, no facial expression, nothing. Very, very professional <laughs> by the counter. Hang on, you asked for some cock porn. Cock porn, which I meant popcorn. Obviously. Yes. I mean, this is almost sounds like a routine this guy had <laughs> already prepared. He then asked if he wanted it sweet or salty. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought he said buttered, actually, but, but I actually misheard him and I thought, and then I actually thought he said battered, so I said battered, please. <laughs> so I actually asked for battered cock corn, but co- I can't even say it now. Cock popcorn but what was interesting is that i went back for a, a school reunion last year my friends wouldn't let it down they 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 reminded me of the t- time that i asked for battered cockporn at the cinema i'm not surprised maybe this week's show should be changed in honor of your cockporn story so Some yeah a large cockporn <laughs> exactly not just a cockporn a large cockporn <laughs> that's been battered <laughs> Right, okay. We'll move on, we'll move on. It's another Whiplash episode, no. (laughs) Okay, so two films this week were Bridesmaids off my list. And And then Avatar. That's right, so what are we going to start with? Bridesmaids. Okay, let's do it. So, oh, in terms of Bridesmaids, I didn't, I don't think I even saw this at the cinema. This came out in 2011, so I think I first saw it on streaming, probably, or on TV. But because it was, you know, a chick comedy, I liked it, but I didn't properly invest in it because I thought, oh, this is clearly for a certain audience. But then when I realised it was produced by Judd Apatow and you could tell it just had this universal goofball comedy, then, yeah, I really warmed to it. And so second time round, yeah, I was guess I was just totally embracing it and absolutely loved it. So this, as I say, was released in 2011, Directed by Paul, now I'm not sure how you pronounce this, Fig, Fig, Paul Fig. Fig. And he went on to direct comedies, Heat, Spy with Melissa McCarthy (laughs) and the the new Ghostbusters film and most recently Last Christmas. So, you know, I didn't know this director at all. So he seems like he's a very safe pair of hands and I thought he certainly was with this. It's co-produced by Judd Apatow and Kirsten Week, who stars and co-wrote this. Apatow, if you don't know, very, very well-known producer from that canon of Saturday Night Live. And so he has, you know, he's the man behind 
the production of films such as Anchorman, Pineapple Express, Knocked Up, Superbad, Step Brothers, 40-Year-Old Virgin. And if you think of actors, therefore, like Will Ferrell and mm-hmm. Seth Rogen, these, yeah. these kind of guys. Um, so you can already probably get an idea of the humour uh, if you haven't seen this film. As I say, it was co-produced by Kirsten Week, who actually starred in Knocked Up, and it was based on that performance that Judd Apatow wanted her to write this. So this was co-written with Annie Mamolo, and it is the story of Annie, played by Kristen Wiig, and she's a single woman whose life is a bit of a mess. She's lost her bakery business, she's struggling with her bills, she lives with a couple of oddball housemates she's got quite an unfulfilling love life lots of low Mm -hmm. self-esteem and in general just feels a bit lost and left behind in life she learns that Mm. her lifelong best friend Lydian played by um, Maya Rudolph is engaged she's asked to be a maid of honor which of course she says yes to only one problem is that one of Lydian's friends Helen who lives on the other side of the social economic ladder uh, attempts to muscle in on Annie's plans and preparations to try and undermine her and outdo her with lavish gifts and trips and parties. And yeah, that's pretty much it. It's, it's a fantastic ensemble cast. Many actors that you wouldn't know, but as I say, when you delve into it, you can see their comedy chops from Saturday Night Live and some of them actually starred in quite different genres. All incredibly funny. Probably the most notable for me anyway was Melissa McCarthy. I remember when I saw this, I just thought she was stand out and she, she's gone yeah. on. She's really kind of pushed on from this and become a star in her own right. Uh, Chris O'Dowd, that people might know from the yeah. IT crowd. Um, and we've also got some great support roles by John Hamm, who's actually uncredited as the kind of sleazy boyfriend of Annie. And we've got Matt Lucas from Little Britain, um, and Rebel Wilson. Some of the stuff is interesting. You said, you know, early days for Melissa McCarthy, but it was also early days for, for Rebel Wilson as well. And I was, it was unusual to see Rebel Wilson and Matt Lucas in a in a film together, playing they were playing brothers and sister as housemates for for Annie, weren't they? And it was quite unusual to see them together. But apparently, they used to share a house or apartment together as well at the same time as, as this was being filmed. But for Rebel Wilson, she got paid only about $3,500 for this first film. Um, well, it wasn't first film for her, but it was one of her early days film and then Pitch Perfect kicked in the following year as well. But it's a simple story. It's, yeah, as you said, Annie's best friend from childhood, Lillian, is, is getting married, uh, which Kristen is, is happy for, but not happy that she's asked her friend of eight months to be a, a like a chief bridesmaid or a matron of honour as well, really. So the t- two of them are kind of battling it out and there's some uncomfortable moments during the film when they're disagreeing with each other. She actually she has about five bridesmaids to in total who are family ranging from family members to new friends and and they've all got completely different characteristics as well um melissa mccarthy's character megan is quite butch but she's a complete man eater 
at the same time and quite she was yeah definitely stand out and quite funny in in the film uh, another is married with teenage boys and disgusted with living in a house of boys another is very prim proper and then helen is incredibly rich and thinks she can buy a way to friendship and also be the ultimate best friend so it, it's very simple on that side so it's all about friendship but there's also that love interest side so it is a rom-com annie is also trying to sell, find herself a man and settle down as well and she has this horrible guy that beds her you know, frequently and then just tells her to leave and not stay over. And then she meets a local policeman due to a brake like not working. And the sort of romance blossoms from there, really. And his name is Nathan Rhodes and played by Chris O'Dowd. O'Dowd, sorry, not Chris O'Dowd. Uh, Chris O'Donnell, that's another person, isn't it? And our... I like Chris O'Dowd. He's so sweet and he's he's got a gorgeous accent. Apparently, this role was supposed to be played by an American, but everybody was so enamoured with his voice that he got the part, basically. I think I just generally love Chris's, do you know? <laughs> Chris Hemsworth, Chris O'Dowd, Chris O'Donnell, and obviously my husband as well. It's got a real nice feel. I did laugh out loud a lot during this film especially when it when they went to try and dresses in the a bridal dress shop and where they all had food poisoning apart from vegan helen who was annie's rival in this, this whole film really but there was lots of really comedy moments and i didn't realize that melissa mccarthy is actually married to the the marshal that was on the airplane as well in real life I didn't know that at all. I did, did you know that? But right. I did not know that. No, uh, yeah, crazy. I found that out. It's just like, wow, okay, cool. But yeah, it's, it's a real good film movie. I mean, one of the more famous people, I mean, there's quite a few celebrities in there now, but at the time there probably wasn't as many. But Helen, who's played by Rose Byrne, you may have seen her in Bad Neighbours and Instant Family and Peter Rabbit. So she's more up and coming, I think. She's certainly doing a lot more movies than, than the rest of them I say other than Rebel Wilson who was really just starting her career really at that point um it's a shame that we haven't seen Matt Lucas do more as well uh, but I, I no I really liked it and I would like to see Kristen Wiig do more really and um, she's done a lot of voiceovers for Tr- How to Train a Dragon she's been in The Martian but I haven't seen her necessarily write and star in more films and this was I think this was a success I think she could could do a lot more and I know that uh, Judd Apatow and um, Paul Figg really wanted Annie Mamolo <laughs> and Kristen Wiig to write a bit more crudely I think they wanted to, you know, the grotesque scenes to be part of this this almost could be seen as a chick flick but I know that men do like yourself Rob do like this film as well but Kristen and Annie tended to downplay it a little bit they really wanted them to do the 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 incident where you know they had the food poisoning um, repercussion incident and that was really really funny as I said before what were your funny bits well I was just going to ask you actually about the big toilet humor scene Mm -hmm. with the food poisoning did it bother me or not yeah because I've heard some people review this and they very much thought it was such a if you like sweet tale in parts about friendship that that wasn't needed that was just a bit over the top and as you say it therefore looked like it was kind of almost bolted on because they wanted that humor in there but for me I didn't think that at all but I was just curious I was curious to know what you thought I think if they didn't have some of this crudity it wouldn't have been as successful maybe and I, I think some chick flicks let's call it can sometimes play it too safe 
and I think it's it's interesting to put some of these grotesque pieces in there. I thought it was hilariously funny. But I also liked the part where Annie, Kristen Wiig, was trying to get Chris O'Dowd married. His attention in the car when he was, they had a bit of a fallout where she was trying to get him to help him find Lillian. And she kept on driving by the police car because he, he was very by the book, except for he would let her off because he obviously had a, an interest in her. But she would do all sorts of funny things and get try to grab his attention, even sort of driving past looking like there's nobody driving at all so she was ducked down and then she would then sit up and then there was occasionally she took her top off and said look I'm now naked and then um driving past it was just there was some really funny sweet moments in it I think yeah I'm with you I think it did need the crude stuff because like you say Melissa McCarthy's character in in this film mm. is is oh she's crude as well she's yeah. really crude I mean she's sweet and so much as you know they're there's a scene where she is the one, if you like, to to pick Annie off the floor when she's at rock bottom. So obviously, mm. with all of these people, their hearts in the right place, but she is out and out crude. And but that, that just works so mm. well with her. I just thought the main reason I think this film did so well is one there is just loads of laughs. I can't even list all of the scenes I I like because there are so many of them. But I think central to all of it is that the actual story and that main narrative is just really solid there is the odd just enough sweet poignant moments to keep it kind of grounded even though you could argue it's a it's not a gross out comedy is it there's something that keeps it slightly more grounded than that yeah yeah I'm with you I just thought Kirsten Wig was brilliant I thought she was brilliant I mean like she was doing that job of being than if there's such a word, the normal one amongst a whole clan <laughs> and crew of kind of extreme <laughs> characters. And you can almost, you know, you almost like live through her, like her reaction when she has to deal with a whole load of crazy characters. Some some are just totally despicable, like John Hamm, who plays her sleazy boyfriend, as you've seen. Um, it's horrible. You can tell he's obviously totally playing up to that, and it's designed to make mm. you almost wince all the way through to the character Helen, who you just don't like because she's, as I say, just trying to steal her friend away mm. from her. Uh, and then you say you've got Melissa McCarthy, who's just hilarious. But then, you know, uh, so many of the other friends, they they are all funny in their own right. One of my mm. favourite scenes, I mean, obviously the, the scene when they get the food poisoning and Lydia ends up in her wedding dress in the middle of the street. <laughs> Yeah, having a severe accident yeah. underneath yeah. is just yeah. absolutely priceless because you watch it and you watch it you go oh my god it's not gonna happen is it? it's not gonna uh, happen I remember the first time you go that is that would be yeah. a real low moment in your life that you'd never ever ever could live down yeah. I thought that worked really well because it even there was just a certain there was even a certain shock to it I found <laughs> I love the scene when they were on the plane when they were flying to Vegas yeah. Oh, there were so many great little two-handers. There was Annie, who was off her face, almost seeing things and creating this huge ruckus on the flight. And basically, it was almost just like everyone's true characters were just amplified. I suppose it's a bit like when you go on a night out with mates. And this is actually one of the things I noted down. (laughs) What happens to your friends when they get drunk? I mean, it's a universal thing. 
because that no not that bad not that extreme <laughs> no no not that not, i'm not saying it's as extreme as that but i do quite like the fact when you see everybody drug yeah. like, so, suddenly personalities appear from like left field that you might never seen before and there were lots of little things that although this is obviously just a very light-hearted comedy there's a friend for everybody to laugh at there's a friend for everybody to maybe resonate with and yeah, and we've all a- had embarrassments, I'm sure, as well. And so I think some of those things that come out, everybody knows it's going to be a cringe-worthy moment because people have already been there and done that in some respects as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's just funny. It's just really, really funny. And yeah, I and it mean, just I- looked like a natural friendship between Annie and Lillian as well. It was you can you can see, as you said, resemblances and and resonate with people because they've got friends like that as well. And then at the end, where they kind of cheesily had Wilson Phillips playing, you could tell that they were mates at the end because they were, like, touching each other in places that you shouldn't touch. And it was almost like they must be really good friends, <laughs> um, naturally, you know, before doing this movie anyway. So, um, but I, I understand that some of the, the cast were in the office as well, so they probably all know each other quite well anyway from doing the office, which I think Paul Fig was the director for that as well, to my understanding. It's a nice collaboration of friends, really, you know, doing a, a performance. I think that really comes across in all of these types of comedies with all these, uh, this huge cast that tend to interchange between them all, that they all just look like they have been on set many many times before mm-hmm. doing sketches collaborating together and like you say it, it just all feels so so relaxed and natural yeah, yeah. but yeah and I, I'd especially as a as a as a lockdown film it's a great one many people have this kind of six laugh test don't they if it passes the six laughs it's <laughs> it's a it's a good comedy but this just cracked me up almost yeah all yeah. the way through what's your what, what's your rating then Rob I'm going to say eight and a half. Ooh, okay. It was just funny. I I couldn't really find much fault with it. For the type of film it was, it was just Mm. a huge, huge tick and just delivered. This this is the second time I've seen it, and I think I saw it on DVD or something, or Blu-ray or something like that uh, quite a while ago. I don't think I actually watched it at the cinema. I can't actually remember who I watched it with the first time around either. But I watched this on my own, and I... I did laugh out loud and I was not ashamed to laugh out loud on my own. But I would like to see Kristen Wiig do some more stuff. I think she's got a talent there and I'd like to see more, really. But I I really enjoyed it. I was in the mood for for a rom-com, so 8 out of 10 for me. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, she's hugely gifted, isn't it? There's something about Mm. her you can just see. I mean, I know she, because she has done, obviously, roles outside of just pure comedy. But yeah, no, there's just something about her that makes you think that she's surely destined for for much bigger things. So, yeah, yeah. let's hope yeah. we see more of her. Yeah, definitely. Right, should we go on to Avatar? Let's Move do it. Let's, on. let's take a trip to Pandora. Yeah, so this film was released in 2009, directed and written by James Cameron. Uh, we have Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, who is a paraplegic marine and he's asked to take on work of his brother who died in battle i believe his work was on the moon of pandora where there's a whole new life form and a team of scientists that they're studying there and some of the creatures there are kind of slightly prehistoric 
mystical looking creatures and they also have a navi tribe that look almost human looking but very tall blue and alien of course to us they're floating mountains waterfalls lush woodlands and really breathtaking scenery and it's all done by special effects of course but there is a team of jarheads that are there to protect the mining that's going on because under this huge tree which is very key to the Navi tribe there's this valuable mineral called unobtainium which can solve earth's energy crisis going on at the moment Um, but basically there ends up being a conflict between aliens and humans scientists and miners there's a love story between Sully and Naituri played by Zoe Salander and the reason for the name Avatar is because the scientists have combined alien and human DNA to make a, a Navi being and in Jake's case it's his brother's Avatar and because he got the same pretty much same DNA as, as his brother Jake was the perfect person to, to actually fill his shoes really and take on this project but when Jake goes into this cryo chamber, it's almost like a cryo chamber style pod, a little bit like aliens in some respects. And he connects with his avatar for action, speech, etc. And this life form that Neatri uh, has to train, um, you know, she falls in love with this um, avatar of Sully, basically. So what did you think, Rob? Um, I was really, first of all, knocked out by the visual effects mm-hmm. when the film first came out this was the first big blockbuster oh, yeah. with 3d i must admit i don't remember seeing it in 3d i'm not even sure whether i saw it in the cinema but when i i suppose i was expecting to to see some maybe slightly outdated uh, visual effects on the basis that this is already you know 11 years old Mm-hmm. but i wasn't i was really bowled over by that um there was there was the odd scene when we're introduced to some of the dinosaur like creatures that i thought didn't quite look great but a, that was a really minor point after that uh, i didn't find it in any way distracting and these huge giant 12 foot blue creatures yeah, you know their facial gestures and the way in which Sully's character and Grace Sigourney Weaver's character, the way in which their features are still visible, you know, within this kind of alien effect shell, I suppose, or skin, worked I thought really well, and it is spectacular. There's no doubt about it. When you are introduced to this incredible, lush, beautiful, fantasy-like environment. It is absolutely stunning, and like you say, you've got these you've got these floating islands in the sky or floating mountains in the sky. You've got these really thick tropical rainforests. You've got waterfalls. You, I mean, you've it's got beautiful. It's, it's, beautiful, abs- it? it's absolutely beautiful, and this is obviously what James Cameron is known for: building worlds. He is a visionary director, and that's his you know that's his number one goal. And I think. With the scale of his films, I think he's most concerned with just immersing people in these incredible worlds and entertaining people. And so from that point of view, it was kind of knockout for me. The performances, 
I thought some were better than others. I was actually most drawn to Neytiri's character. Um, I think it's interesting and, and worthy to, to note that, you know, James Cameron has always cast very strong female characters alongside yeah. male characters. He, he doesn't really discriminate and never has between the two. I mean, you think obviously to... Yeah, we reviewed Aliens and obviously you've got Ripley in that. There's there's very strong female characters in Terminator. You know, I mean, all all of these big films have have these very strong female characters. As I say, for me, Neytiri, even though Neytiri was completely computer generated in so much as, you know, you never see Zoe Zoldana behind the character. I actually thought she was really convincing, more convincing, I have to say, than, than Sam Worthington as, really? as, as Sully or or even mm. Sigourney Weaver, actually, I found as Grace. Yeah, I found it funny that um, Sully introduced himself um, from what tribe he was from to Natiri. He said, I'm from the Jarhead clan. Yes, I know. I, said, I, really, <laughs> I missed that before. I never heard that before. It's funny that you've mentioned that because when he said that, that really stood out for me as well. But there were like some kind of plot holes in this. But more for me, I, I just found the dialogue and the script sometimes just a bit clunky, which was almost just there to to tell us, you know, what's happening right now. But that's James Cameron. You know, he's just not known for his his writing. He did the screenplay for Terminator and Aliens, and he wrote The Abyss, Terminator 2, and Titanic. You wouldn't say that any of those films are known for that particular element. In actual fact, Titanic, which won a whole host of Oscars, the one it, you know, it didn't win anything for its screenplay, whereas it won Best Picture, it won Best Cinematography, it won Best Director, it won Best Costume Design, it won Best, you know, da-da-da-da-da. So Kate I think, Winslet won, won an Oscar for that as well, didn't she? That's right. So I think this is just what you get with Cameron. You, you just get this amazing, spectacular, immersive mm. experience. And for that, it, it, it's, yeah. it's really good. But as I say, for me, just on those other points, which I suppose I... I feel it's a missed opportunity. I would have been immersed even more had there been as much detail, I suppose, or attention paid to the actual script and dialogue that that really almost felt like it was just the kind of weak scaffolding on top of this amazing, amazing looking film. Yeah, I mean, on occasions I did think Sully was a bit sort of cocksure of himself, his character, wasn't he? He was a stereotypical jarhead, basically. But um, what I wanted to ask you, actually, on the Oscar front, was it won three Oscars, this film, for cinematography, special effects and art direction. I thought cinematography was more for beautiful, real landscapes. I didn't realise you could have it cinematography as an animated landscapes. Can you... You you know your films, you're in the film industry. Are you able to to i mean obviously special effects and art direction is is easy to understand i think but what classes is cinematography that that for me would be how how convincing and seamless and real the visual effects are brought to life Mm. is not just the quality of how they're built and how they're and how they look but it's also dependent on how the camera moves around those objects and and so i suppose the way to the way to maybe see it is like a painting it's like a 3d painting 
the painting is the visual effects. But when you look at a painting, what your imagination does in terms of how it interprets that and how it moves between the different elements in your head might be the cinematography. So for me, it's almost like if you imagine like a whole load of 3D elements or layers of special effects, and then you've got this camera which is moving around them, then mm. it's, it's how well the direction of that movement and the direction, if you like, of the camera work um, really brings the visual effects to life. I don't know, it's probably mm. a really poor way of trying to explain no, it. No, no, I, I was just curious because I always thought cinematography was, like, was real almost and this is kind of all made up as all quite fake. I wonder how many Oscars have been won that are fake scenes. I think it's a really good point because I must admit, I think I did see the Oscars that this picked up and I saw cinematography mm. there and it didn't really, I didn't really take much note of that. But no, you're absolutely mm. right. There would be a question mark, I suppose. Most yeah, people would see like cinema. Dances with Wolves, obviously. You know, yeah, there'll be beautiful background setting probably or, and then, you know, they may, that might be up for cinematography and you can understand that. I, I always thought it was the, the scene, but obviously you've, you've you changed my perception of that, so. I'm sure if you went and looked further online, you'd mm. find a much more comprehensive, mm. probably more mm. correct uh, response than what I just gave you. But that's how I would see it. But I still agree with you. When I think of cinematography, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think of a film like this. No, it's more um, special effects, isn't it? Yeah. It's more special yeah. effects. Yeah. Interesting yeah. you say Dancing with Balls, because obviously this film has been dubbed as like Pocahontas in space or even dances with walls in space. The kind of theme, the, the, you know, the main theme of the film is not really anything new. It's been done many times before, yeah. you know, this idea of colonialism and driving out. Yeah. It's just tribes. It's like so, aliens, isn't it? And it is just like, like it, it is just like it is. And I have to say, knowing that this was James Cameron, who directed mm. Aliens, and the film opens of the ship coming through the clouds down towards Pandora. And I thought well, that's interesting because that's how Aliens started. I remember us talking, I remember me talking about how that amazing scene mm. with the ship coming down through the clouds and it's just Im- immediately, you know, this whole kind of stormy world. But, you know, it was a similar start to this. And then yeah. there's, there's, like you say, there are inevitable parallels with Aliens. No, there are. There yeah. are so many. I mean, you've even got the, even the main corporate guy who doesn't care two hoots about the indigenous people who's you know who's there you know there's parallels with the character in aliens who's exactly the same of course you've, you've got Sigourney Weaver and she plays a different role but she's in there yeah. you've yeah, got yeah. like you say you've got the jarhead marine type characters just like aliens so you've got the aliens themselves obviously are different but yeah. I mean, yeah, of course they are. But, but yeah. um, and like you say, even this idea of the way in which Sully and, and Grace kind of transport themselves into the I, Avatar's yeah, body. Yeah, but I, of, it's called cryo chambers, I think, in right, Aliens. cryo chambers. But they're yeah. like, yeah, a bit like those yeah, cryo chamber style pods, aren't they? So yeah. That's so, very familiar. And also the lifting loaders. That's right. Yeah. That's uh, right. Pods, yeah. There are this, and it has to. It can't be a coincidence. Like it's James Cameron, um, but also the score I believe was by James Horner, who also did the score for Aliens. 
So although the yeah. although the actual world itself is totally different, and and the actual uh, what these aliens look like is totally different, I, I thought it's quite interesting that, that there are some parallels there. It's a nod, isn't it, to the other it's films? A nod. And, they, and then and they've all been successful, so why not put them in again? But is that being unimaginative? I don't know. It's 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 not because it was in the eighties when Aliens was, you know, the first Aliens had been shown and. They were, you know, out of this world, really, um, which <laughs> that's obviously who it would be uh, being aliens. And this was out of this world, but in a, in a completely different medium, let's call it. So, yeah, I mean, the, the special effects were, were stunning. But are they as stunning as Life of Pi last week's? Now, that's, that's a really interesting point, because mm. I remember when I was watching Life of Pi, and obviously I was waxing lyrical about just how amazing the effects are in that. And yeah. But they're more realistic in Life of Pi, aren't they? They're t- they are more realistic in Life of Pi, but maybe that's because the special effects are used to bring real animals to life that we're familiar with seeing, mm. whereas this, I mean, this the whole thing's obviously computer-generated, the whole world, yeah. all the characters. So obviously from that point of view, it's totally different, but but they are aliens. So Cameron did Lita as well. Is, is it Battle Angels or something? That's right, um, that's right. And it's you, got that same sort of, I don't know, same sort of texture to the, the, the film as it has for, for Avatar. But you don't see that in Life of Pi. Life of Pi looks very realistic, whereas... Yeah. This got almost like a a gaming feel yes, to it. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. It does remind you of a. It does remind you one of one of those amazing opening sequences of mm. a com- of a computer game. Yeah, there's something about it that feels a little bit unreal, even though mm. even though the effects do an amazing job of, you know, convincing you that this is this is the world. Yeah, um, I mean there were there were slight. I think that I think he did drop the ball on some elements. For all intents and purposes, all of these aliens just wear tribal gear and very little of that. It's all just face paint and and, and, the, and the, a few kind of, you know, garbed in necklaces or whatever. Mm. But occasionally you would, you know, Jake Sully's character, when he is in the Avatar, you still see his shorts on him, for example. Um, and the same with Grace. <laughs> it was almost yeah. like watching the Hulk with still yeah, with his shorts yeah, yeah. on, so there was a few moments where I felt they kind of they just weren't needed. I just didn't think that was needed. Mm. Um, but I mean, these are minor points because these these are really minor mm. points because I mean there are so many amazing set pieces. Mm. I like the spirit spiritual um, side and, and the sensuality piece, where you know, with with their hair that they can connect to another being uh, or creature and just get to feel what that creature is feeling as well. I thought that was quite interesting concept as well to put in. I don't think that I haven't seen that done in anything else, to be honest. So Avatar 2, it was going to come out a few years back and it's been put put back several times. Um, so they're aiming for December this year. Um, but what is interesting is that I heard that Sigourney Weaver's character and Colonel Miles Quaritch, they're going to be back. I thought they died as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they bring those those characters back. And another nod to Titanic, uh, Kate Winslet's going to be in it as well. Well, it'll be interesting because I looked under James Cameron mm-hmm. in his director filmography credits yep. on IMDb. Avatar 2, as you say, due for release in 2021, also listed on there under filming status 
is Avatar 3 coming out in 2023, Avatar 4 coming out in 2025, and Avatar 5 coming out in 2027. So I don't think the world needs so many Avatar films. Uh, Well, I hope it doesn't get... I mean, you saw the Alien series sort of disintegrate, didn't it? I hope it doesn't end up like that. I hope they've got a really good storyline behind the next ones, not just special effects. I mean, one thing's for sure... People now are just so used to these incredible visual effects. I mean, you think of Infinity War and Endgame. I mean, you know, Avatar was the highest grossing film of all time when it came out. And if you look at the highest grossing films now, although there have been obviously, there have been trends towards people watching these big special effects films, so many, I think, of the top 20 highest grossing films are effectively animation or Mm -hmm. films that rely heavily on on visual effects so he can't just rely on on visual effects i'd 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 really i mean i'd I'd definitely look forward to seeing more of them and i'd be interested to see where it goes um because yeah the biggest takeaway is it's it's a spectacular spectacular looking film Mm. I've watched this film probably about five times. I was trying to work out how many times I've seen it. Five times. Wow. So I like it that much. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think it's because you see, because there's so much detail in the special effects. And I think so you see something new each time. So, and as I said, I didn't pick up on, on certain quotes that were mentioned in the film as well. So go on then, Rob. What are you going to give it? It's nowhere near up there with the likes of terminator or aliens but it's still up there so i'm gonna give it seven and a half out of ten i'm gonna give it eight and a half actually half a score more than aliens believe it or not great so we move on to our choices for this week do we we certainly do so Hmm. it's your turn to give me a genre animation okay so i have nine animations nine. only nine right. i know yeah no that, sh- that's that's quite a lot nine i will choose number three please number three is coco coco and you know what i've got that but i've not watched it so that's a good one for me to watch this week oh that's super yeah that's brilliant. yeah i've not watched it this is such a colorful beautiful film um mm. what have we got so Aspiring musician Miguel, confronted with his family's ancestral ban on music, enters the land of the dead to find his great-great-grandfather, a legendary singer. So obviously the whole Day of the Dead theme, you can imagine how, you know, where you can go with that. So this is available to stream on Now TV, Disney Plus um, and Sky Go. That's first movie then. So my turn to pick a genre for you. Drum roll. Please. It's action. We've had adventure. Now we've got action. action. Oh, I love an action film. How many you got? I've got 24. I'm going to go with number one. Number one is Bumblebee. Bumblebee. Okay, that's quite exciting because I remember Bumblebee being reviewed in quite a favourable light in comparison to most of the 
rubbish that uh, Michael Bay has been known for in that whole kind of Transformers mm. kind of world. So yeah, I liked it. It's good. I'm looking going to look forward to that one. So it is streaming on Now TV, Sky Go, and you can buy from all other online channels. Bumblebee. Okay, so here we go. On the run in the year 1987, Bumblebee, the Autobot, finds refuge in a junkyard in a small Californian beach town. Charlie, on the cusp of turning 18 and trying to find her place in the world, discovers Bumblebee battle-scarred and broken. When Charlie revives him, she quickly learns this is no ordinary yellow VW bug. (laughs) There you go. Better than the trailer, isn't it? It is very. Good. Or not. You, have to do it. you have to say it in a Christian Bale voice, though. <laughs> okay. A oh, Batman voice. On the run in the year 1987. <laughs> that's enough. That's enough. Yeah, okay. I'm getting all hot. <laughs> right. Got, oh my God. We're back to where we started. We're back to where we started with what was it? Two small coats and a large cock porn. <laughs> If any of my old school friends listen to this, they'll be like, yep, yeah, that's Sarah Cockporn. <laughs> right. Bumblebee and Coco, um, I'm now going to open the window and get some fresh air and go out and enjoy the sunshine. Sounds like a grand idea. Enjoy, Rob. I will, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>